This is Everyday Light. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. This is the one-year Bible reading for January 2nd, and I was so excited yesterday to start the new year that I forgot to give you the background for the new books that we uh, began, Genesis and Matthew. And I always try to give you a little bit of background as we start every new book of the Bible. So in the interest of time, I'll give you Genesis today and Matthew tomorrow. Genesis is the book of beginnings. It is 50 chapters and sketches human history from creation to Babel, chapters 1 through 11, and from Abraham to Joseph, chapters 12 through 50. The first 11 chapters introduce the Creator God and the beginnings of life, sin, judgment, family, worship, and salvation. The remainder of the book focuses on the lives of four patriarchs of the faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, from whom will come the nation of Israel and ultimately the Savior, Jesus Christ. And we begin today at the beginning of chapter 3. Now the serpent was the shrewdest of all the creatures the Lord God had made. Really? he asked the woman. Did God really say that you must not eat any of the fruit of the garden? Of course we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God says we must not eat it or even touch it or we will die. You won't die, the serpent hissed. God knows that your eyes will be opened when you eat it. You will become just like God, knowing everything, both good and evil. The woman was convinced. The fruit looked so fresh and delicious, and it would make her so wise. So she ate some of the fruit. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. Then he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. Toward evening, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid themselves among the trees. The Lord God called to Adam, Where are you? He replied, I heard you, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten the fruit I commanded you not to eat? Yes, Adam admitted, but it was the woman you gave me who brought me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, How could you do such a thing? The serpent tricked me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you will be punished. You are singled out from all the domestic and wild animals of the whole earth to be cursed. You will grovel in the dust as long as you live, crawling along on your belly. From now on, you and the woman will be enemies, and your offspring and her offspring will be enemies. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, You will bear children with intense pain and suffering, and although your desire will be for your husband, he will be your master. And to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit I told you not to eat, I have placed a curse on the ground. All your life... 
you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. All your life you will sweat to produce food until your dying day. Then you will return to the ground from which you came, and for you were made from the dust, and to the dust you will return. Then Adam named his wife Eve, which sounds like the Hebrew term that means to give life, because she would be the mother of all people everywhere. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, The people have become as we are, knowing everything, both good and evil. What if they eat the fruit, the tree of the fruit, sorry, the fruit of the tree of life, then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished Adam and his wife from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After banishing them from the garden, the Lord God stationed mighty angelic beings to the east of Eden, and a flaming sword flashed back and forth, guarding the way to the tree of life. Now Adam slept with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When the time came, she gave birth to Cain, and she said, With the Lord's help, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to a second son and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain was a farmer. At harvest time, Cain brought to the Lord a gift of his farm produce, while Abel brought several choice lambs from the best of his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his offering, but he did not accept Cain and his offering. This made Cain very angry and dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked him. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you respond in the right way. But if you refuse to respond correctly, then watch out. Sin is waiting to attack and destroy you, and you must subdue it. Later, Cain suggested to his brother Abel, let's go out into the fields. And while they were there, Cain attacked and killed his brother. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know. Cain retorted, am I supposed to keep track of him wherever he goes? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your, Lord, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You are hereby banished from the ground you have defiled with your brother's blood. No longer will it yield abundant crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless fugitive on the earth, constantly wandering from place to place. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from my land and from your presence. You have made me a wandering fugitive. All who see me will try to kill me. The Lord replied, They will not kill you, for I will give seven times your punishment to anyone who does. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Then Cain's wife became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and they named him Enoch. When Cain founded a city, he named it Enoch after his son. Enoch was the father of Irad. Irad was the father of Mahujael. Mahujael was the father of Methushael. Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, Ada and Zillah, 
Ada gave birth to a baby named Jabal. He became the first of the herdsmen who live in tents. His brother's name was Jubal, the first musician, the inventor of the harp and flute. To Lamech's other wife, Zillah, was born Tubal Cain. He was the first to work with metal, forging instruments of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain had a sister named Naema. One day, Lamech said to Ada and Zillah, Listen to me, my wives. I have killed a youth who attacked and wounded me. If anyone who kills Cain is to be punished seven times, anyone who takes revenge against me will be pun punished seventy-seven times. Adam slept with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son. She named him Seth, for she said, God has granted me another son in place of Abel, the one that Cain killed. Seth probably means granted. The name may also mean appointed, my commentary says. When Seth grew up, he had a son and named him Enosh. It was during his lifetime that people first began to worship the Lord. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up and flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to try to kill the child. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. They stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. I read an interesting part in a commentary this morning about um, the parallel between this flight to Egypt and Israel's history. As an infant nation, Israel went to Egypt just as Jesus did as a child. God led Israel out. God brought Jesus back. Both events show God working to save his people. That was interesting. Herod was furious when he learned that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, because the wise men had told him that the star first appeared to them about two years earlier. Herod's brutal action fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah. The anguish, a cry of anguish is heard in Ramah, weeping and mourning unrestrained. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and told him, get up and take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel, because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph returned immediately to Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler was Herod's son, Archelaus, he was afraid. Then in another dream, he was warned to go to Galilee. So they went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets concerning the Messiah. He will be called a Nazarene. In those days, John the Baptist began preaching in the Judean wilderness. His message was, turn from your sins and turn to God because the kingdom of heaven is near. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare a pathway for the Lord's coming, make a straight road for him. John's clothes were woven from camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt. His food was locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from every section of Judea and from all over the Jordan Valley went out to the wilderness to hear him preach. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? Why do the people waste their time with futile plans? 
The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord, against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from this slavery. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, my holy city. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son, or he will become angry, and you will be destroyed in the midst of your pursuits, for his anger can flare up in an instant. But what joy for all who find protection in him. Proverbs 1, 7-9 Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Only fools despise wisdom and discipline. Listen, my child, to what your father teaches you. Don't neglect your mother's teaching. What you will learn for them from them will crown you with grace and clothe you with honor. And to end today, we're going back to Selwyn Hughes's uh, consideration of the Songs of Ascents. And we are in Psalm 120, specifically focusing today on verses three and four. He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows. Clearly, the first of the Songs of Ascents is not a joyful one but it is where we must start. The psalm makes the point that we live in a world where lies are commonplace, and the sooner we face that painful fact, the better. This is not negativism, this is realism. In verses three and four, the psalmist tells us that God has sharp arrows, which he aims at those who persist in deceitfulness. The Moffat translation of the Psalms gives this rendering. What will you get from him, O crafty tongue? What punishment in full? Sharp arrows poured on you and burning coals. What is the psalmist saying here? And why such strong language? Doubtless the psalmist's persecutors had used forth forceful language to make their point and to impress others with the, quote, truth of what they said about him. But he reminds them that the strength of their vindictiveness will be met by the strength of the Almighty. As they have shot their arrows of vindictiveness at him, so the Lord will send his arrows of fiery judgment on them. We should remember, however, that God's arrows are judgments designed to lead a person to repentance. How unlike God are we in this respect? If we are honest, we enjoy seeing those who have hurt us going through some painful experiences themselves. The psalmist, I believe, prays for his persecutors, not out of a spirit of vindictiveness, but with the desire that through the pain of judgment, they might be brought to the path of peace. How wonderful it would be if that same spirit was among us. Our Father and our God, help us keep our spirits free of all vindictiveness. May we, like your own beloved Son, manifest the attitude that says to all who hurt or disappoint us, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you all. Have a beautiful day.